Hey, welcome back to the AmeriChicks with Kim Munson, where we are dissecting issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree, we need to be having conversations. Be sure and check out my website, AmeriChicks.com. That is where I am on Facebook and Twitter as well, and offering you a conservatarian perspective. I am thrilled and honored to have on the line with me right now Bob Woodson Sr., Uh, He is the founder of the Woodson Center, founded it back in 1981 to help residents in low-income neighborhoods address the challenges that they are facing. And uh, so welcome, Bob Woodson. It's great to have you with the AmeriChicks. Pleased to be on. I saw you within the last couple of weeks on television. Uh, You were on national TV. Yes, I have been on. And uh, it was interesting to me. It seems like you were addressing the the narrative out there that many of these young socialists in Congress are pushing forward. So what's your thoughts about that? Well, as a veteran of the civil rights movement, um, we fought and went to jail. To We were fighting a, a movement of inclusion. We wanted it to, to the American uh, society to live up to its principles of the founders. And we were fighting for inclusion. We also were fighting for equal opportunity. We were not, not fighting for exclusion. And, and so uh, we also fought for meritocracy. We, we wanted to open the doors of opportunity so we could compete. Uh, and, and so what, what the civil rights movement has morphed into now that these young socialists are, are echoing, it has uh, left the moral high ground has become a race grievance industry. Um, and and so right now, poor the, the, the strategies that they are recommending to help the poor is just more handouts, more dependency-producing programs like the poverty programs. We spent $22 trillion over the last 50 years doing poverty, where 70 cents of every dollar goes not to the poor but those who serve poor people. And these professional providers ask not which problems are solvable but which ones are fundable. So we've created a commodity out of the poor, and that's why with all of that money, poverty has not budged very much. And yet these unsocialists are taking what has failed over the last 50 years and making it the centerpiece of their agenda today. Well, and you mentioned uh, all of this money that has gone to helping the poor or to help the homeless or to help these challenges. And I've done a lot of volunteer work uh, over the years, and and what I started to realize is we had these kind of quasi-government nonprofits that, instead of getting rid of the problem, it seems like they should be working themselves out of a out of a job. And you know, we should if we're addressing the homeless problem, we don't want any more homeless. We want to address the problem and have results. But instead, if you if the pro, uh, program continues on, then the money continues on. And I've seen people that have gotten rich off of these programs, and uh, instead of helping with the problem. And that's, again, the way the system is rigged, uh, if you're running a program and 70 cents of every dollar you receive to help the poor goes to administration overhead, what incentives do you have if, if the, you only get rewarded for the, the number of people you serve, not the problems that you solve? And that's why what the Woodson Center has done over the last uh, 35 years is to demonstrate an alternative way to help the poor and that is to apply the principles in our market economy. Only 3% of the people in society in our market economy are entrepreneurs, but they generate 70% of the jobs. Well, if you go into low-income communities like we do, 
uh, and look for the, the, the 30% of the families that are raising children that are not dropping out of school or in jail and drugs, they are the social entrepreneurs. And so we find these people who are, who are achieving against the odds and then uh, provide money and provide assistance to them so they can develop uh, solutions within the community to help themselves uh, to find jobs and to, to mend families. And so that's the approach that I think we ought to be taking, and that is, is to help people to become agents of their own elevation and uplift. Man, I love that. And I believe that every individual, no matter what their descriptor is, you know, black, white, Hispanic, gay, straight, man, woman, that that they each have that within themselves, that they can do that. And I've been so frustrated. I really feel that LBJ, Lyndon Baines Johnson, President Johnson, with his great society, you know, it may have been well-intentioned, but what had happened has happened is basically government came to to mothers, and um, many times in the black mothers, but also we're seeing that in, you know, uh, white, Hispanic, you know, across the range, that we will take care of you and your children as long as there's not a man in the house. And what that has done to relationships between couples, what it's done, I mean, I think it's really marginalized our, our young men because they haven't had to be responsible, you know, for some of the the choices that they've made, and it's I think it's really decimated. Uh, it's decimated in a way a generation. I think we can get it back. What's your thoughts on that? No, it's true because you have to look back to find out, and particularly in the black community, during the 30 years of the Depression from 1930 to 1940 when the unemployment rate in the black community was 40%, our marriage rate was higher than any other group in society. El- elderly people could walk in their community without fear of being mugged by their grandchildren. And so the challenge is, is if it wasn't racism or the history of slavery or anything else that explained how blacks achieved under worse conditions then than they do today. So we need to look back to find out uh, how low-income blacks and others were able to keep families together. They're able to, to work and to, to mend their, their, their broken communities We need to be learning from those lessons from from the past and apply them to the present. Well, and I I totally agree on that. And one of the other things that you'd mentioned that's jumping out at me is meritocracy. And I believe that given the tools, given competition, that that is the best way to achieve. And I've always been really frustrated with affirmative action. I'm a woman, clearly, but I want to... I want to achieve it. I don't want to feel like it's been given to me because of a descriptor. And I think that that's been a disservice. I was at a uh, meeting one time, and there was a a black woman that was sitting behind me, and she had gone to one of the very prestigious schools. I can't remember which one it was. And she had gotten in on her merit. But she said, I was so frustrated because I knew people looked at me and thought that that, um, I got in because of the color of my skin. And and that really kind of hit to my heart, uh, Bob. And there are two ways, as a friend of mine said, that you can prevent someone from achieving. One is to deny them by law the way we used to do during segregation. But the other one is to tell them that they don't have to compete, that all they've got to do is sit at the gambling table and wait to be dealt a winning hand. And that is crippling. I think it was Pastor Chuck Swindell said, 
10% of our life is defined by external circumstances, what, what has happened, how we were born, the conditions under which uh, are difficult. But 90% of who we are is, is, is our attitude about the 10%. And so that's why programs of social uplift that the Woodson Center supports are, have found the magic sauce in the 30% of the families in low-income, drug-infested neighborhoods who are raising children successfully. We record what are the strategies and values that these people reflect, and it is amazing um, what we find, and that's what we ought to be celebrating is how many people who have achieved against the odds, and then our attitude towards the poor is to come uh, equipped with the expectation that everyone in every circumstance has the ability to compete. All they need is the tools and the resources to compete rather than telling them that because of their tortured past that they have just wait for the uh, wait at the winning line to pass without with competition well i i totally agree with you on that we've got just a few minutes in this segment is there a, a success story with the woodson center that just quickly comes to mind that you could share with our listeners yeah just a very quick one uh, a few years ago uh, a single black mom was living in her car in a homeless shelter for three years with two teenage girls. And they were uh, studying by cell phone in a homeless shelter. Those girls graduated a valedictorian and a salutedictorian, and it was admitted to college as sophomores because they took so many advanced placement courses. We ought to be listening to and learning how that mother was able to achieve such a wonderful result because she is the real anti-poverty fighter. Well, you know, and that comes to mind. Uh, I, I actually have a, a guest on, on on a somewhat regular basis. He's a guy that I met out here in Denver, and he'd been a gang member, and he now is with um, a gang recovery program uh, helping kids get out of gangs. And so he and I kind of made a deal. He's got a book that he's recommended that I read called The Other West Moore, and I asked him to watch the movie Gifted Hands about Dr. Ben Carson because the, it, it touched my heart what you just said about this mother and these two young young women in this home, homeless shelter, and the difference that Ben Carson's mother made in their lives. He said, turn the TV off. We're going to start to read good books. You know, you can't read just read junk. You've got to read good books. That's me, and that's what I'm saying to my kids as well. Uh, but read good books and then ask for that book report, and it can change kids' lives. It really can, and and that's why... People are motivated to change and improve when you can show them victories that are possible. But when you can constantly bombard them with injuries to be avoided, then there's no incentive for them to achieve. So I just think every conference that we have, participants know the rules are you do not uh, offer up any problem for which you don't have a solution. It doesn't have to be the solution. But we, we should keep naysayers away from us because critics are good, but, but cynicism is what we are facing today, and we need to avoid it at all costs. 
Uh, now, we're going to go to break here in just a moment, uh, and I'd love to get your comment regard. I mean, have you thought about this new Green Deal and what that could actually do to people? Yeah, I have. Okay, well then, we're gonna go to we're gonna go to break because I just read that and it was astounding to me. This is Kim Munson with the Americhicks. I'm thrilled to be talking with Bob Woodson Sr. He is the founder of the Woodson Center, which is is helping residents in low income neighborhoods address their challenges. And uh, he says ten percent of the stuff that we has is external. I think you said that was Charles Swindoll. Ninety percent we can change that. And so uh, and that's something that you're doing. And I I love the story that you just shared with us. So this is Kim Munson with the Americhicks. We will be right back. Hey, welcome back to the Americhicks with Kim Munson, where we are dissecting issues as right versus wrong instead of right versus left. Agree or disagree. We need to be having conversations. Be sure and go to my website, americhicks.com. There's all kinds of great information. Sign up for my emails. And uh, I am the Americhicks on Facebook and Twitter as well, offering you a conservatarian perspective. I am thrilled to have on the line with me Bob Woodson Sr. He is the founder of the Woodson Center. He founded it back in 1981 to help residents in low-income neighborhoods address the challenges of their communities. And I saw him a, a few weeks ago on national TV, and I thought it would be an honor to get to have him on the show. And it's, it is a thrill, Bob. It's great to have you here. Pleased to be here. And I really appreciate that last segment, talking about uh, meritocracy and equal opportunity and, and to be included. You know, Abraham Lincoln said that a house divided against itself cannot stand. And we, are, we have this, this fomenting of division instead of bringing us together in our country. And one of the things is these young socialists that are in Congress. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has introduced this new green bill, or new green deal. And I would encourage everybody to read it. Instead of listening to all the pundits and what everybody's saying, Read it so that you know what you're talking about. Uh, I've read it, and uh, after I read it, Bob, I was terrified. <laughs> so what's your thoughts? Well, I mean, I think it's just a gimmick. Again, it, it emphasizes that the problems that we face are all external, and therefore it can be fixed by grand government schemes. And the very fact that O'Connell, Senator O'Connell, is forcing a vote on it, I think that's good. Because it, all of these grandiose schemes that that puts the control of our lives in the hands of government, it would totally wipe out all of our, our uh, the government's uh, resources to enforce these laws. And I just think it's fanciful and and dangerous, as you say. But thank God it's so outrageous that I don't think it's going to get any legs at all. I'm glad it's it's being done by the people who who are authoring it. And not by someone who's more talented, you know. Well, and and uh, actually, you know, there were 43 senators that voted present. And we've had some conversations about that. I served for four years on city council in my town. And when I was first on city council, there was something that that was being brought before council and, and was getting pressure that I needed to do a yes vote. And it, it just didn't seem on principle like that was the right thing to do. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll just vote present. And the uh, city manager said, you've got to take a stand. It's either yes or no. You need to do your research and take a stand. And I thought, you know, you're absolutely right. Life is a contact sport, and we need to take a stand, yes or no. So I took a stand of no on that. And uh, so I cannot believe that there's 43 senators that voted present. Six of them are running for president. 
uh, mind you. And basically the present vote said that we, I think they're saying we are for the new Green Deal, or they're at least not, not you know, putting a line in the sand. What do you think about these senators that voted present? Well, I think that it's a little cowardly to do that. I mean, if you really believe it and you're going around the campaign trail every day espousing it, then you ought to vote for it. You, you ought to put your principles where your positions are and vote for it. But I think it's the kind of hypocrisy that we that we're facing today in, in public life. And it's unfortunate that that we have this gladiatorial combat now that masquerades as political debate. If we look at lessons from Dr. King and Man- Nelson Mandela and others, these are, are people who said that the way you destroy an enemy is make them your friend. And, and there was comedy in, in public discourse that's lacking today. But King and Mandela, the very fact that Nelson Mandela, when he was released from prison, would have as his honored guest the warden of the prison who was sent there to work him to death, that's the kind of grace in action that I think Americans are looking for. Well, I think that's for sure. And mentioning Dr. King, you know, in his I Have a Dream speech, where he said he uh, dreamt of a time when his children would be judged not by the color of their skin, by the content of their character. And uh, not just within the black... I, I mean, I think we have a real question right now about the character of America. And I think we need to be addressing that as individuals and then, of course, as our country. What do you think? No, I agree. Um, Dr. King did say the content of our character, but also the speech that I remember or uh, most wasn't his I Have a Dream speech. It's his letter from a Birmingham jail when he said that the greatest stumbling block to black progress is not the white citizens council or the Ku Klux Klan, it is the white moderate. He said lukewarm acceptance from people of goodwill is more difficult to accept than outright rejection of people of ill will. So what Dr. King would say, again, that people should take a position that, and he emphasized the content of our character, should be the, 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 the standard by which we judge people's actions. Uh, but we're not. The very fact that, um, that, that, that people are, are trying to define issues in terms of, of black or white, it, 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 you know, this is not what we fought for in the Civil Rights Movement. We fought for inclusion. I didn't, I didn't go to jail and struggle in the Civil, civil Rights Movement so that there can be a separate black and brown prom. Right, right. Well, into that, this, as I read the New Green Deal, I mean, there, it's actually a piece of legislation that was um, presented, so I printed it off, and so when these elected, or these politicians are saying that, you know, they don't really know what's in it, or, or you know, they're, they're just, they're not telling us the truth, because I've got it right here. But there's something, Bob, that... I, I, I could feel it, but I, there's a word to it now, and it's being taught on college campuses, and it's called intersectionality. And right here in the New Green Deal on page four, you can see it. And this is what it's saying. It's, it's trying to, to bring these people into groups, bring individuals into groups that um, then feel marginalized. They call them syst- uh, systemic injustices. And they, these are the communities that they're looking to, the indigenous communities, communities of color, migrant communities, 
deindustrialized communities, depopulated rural communities, the poor, low-income workers, women, the elderly, the unhoused, people with disabilities, and youth. And so they're trying to bring them all together, uh, I think, to push forward their agenda, this new Green Deal. And there's great danger in becoming a member of a group instead of realizing that, you know, that may be a descriptor, but you are an individual. You are in charge of your destiny instead of the group. Yes, I, I, I just think one of the worst things that happen is this intersectionality. I, I, some years ago, I was honored by my alumni association at, at the uh, University of Pennsylvania. It was fascinating. It was my first exposure to, to this issue. The, the board of directors was meeting. They, it was a 50-minute meeting. They spent 40 minutes deciding the racial, ethnic makeup of the board of directors and only 10 minutes on what the board is supposed to could do. Wow. <laughs> and, and that's a metaphor for what's happening today. We spend, we're trying to unite us by excluding one another. <laughs> it's called you, you, unity through exclusion. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Unity yeah. through exclusion. Yeah, we we uh, we're all individuals. We're all we're human beings. We're all part of the human race. In fact, that reminds me. We've just got a few minutes, but I went to the doctor, and they uh, were asking me all these different questions. You know, as you're signing in, and so they asked me race, and I'm so I just said human. They go, oh, well, that's not on here. And I'm like, well, I'm going to stick with that one. They go, I like that, though. So I think we need to remember we're all part of uh, one race, the big human race. No, that's true. And, um, but I'm, I'm hopeful and optimistic uh, because the 3,000 groups served by the Woodson Center, over 39 states, they are black, white, Hispanic, they are Native American, and I believe that Whites who live in trailer parks who voted for Donald Trump have more in common with blacks and browns living in cities whose communities are overrun with drugs and alcohol because what both communities suffer in common is brokenness. And what's going to allow us to come together is uniting to address that brokenness and and bring about some healing in the country. Oh, man, I love all the words that you're using to come together to heal, to heal this brokenness. So the Woodson Center, it's woodsoncenter.org. Uh, we've got just two minutes here. Bob, what would be your final thoughts? Well, I think, first of all, I think we, we should not despair that there's all kinds of evidence that deep in the DNA of this country there's a there's a desire to support virtue in action. Some a couple of weeks ago, you may remember this little boy took a picture of his dad opening a donut shop, and he had no customers. And the little boy took a picture of his father standing alone, and also the empty parking lot. And within 24 hours, there were 270 responses of people flooding the, the airways with it and, and and selling him out. This is the real America. This is this is the America that I love and serve, uh, and there are all kinds of examples of people. Once they see a need, and someone uh, in need, uh, Americans' spontaneous response is to help. Well, that's so we should be inspired by those examples of grace and action. 
Well, you know, I, and I think that uh, your message is so inspirational. And that's where we need to focus, uh, because the American idea, you know, in its truest sense, uh, what you talked about is, you know, coming together and equal opportunity and meritocracy. You know, there's something so unique about that. And we need to continue to focus on the things that inspire us and bring us together instead of the things that divide us. So Bob Woodson with the WoodsonCenter.org, uh, just thank you so much. And thank you for the work that you've been doing since 1981, uh, because I believe, I believe in this human race and I believe in this American idea. 